0: How about a sports analogy? Those are the best. <laughs> the
1: intellectuals love sports. Yeah. <laughs> you know the idea that they say sometimes about some players in team sports, where they're like, every time that person touches the ball, it could be a score. You know, they could score immediately every time. Well, I think that for us, at any moment, us toddlers in the Doddler's philosophy podcast could go on hiatus at any moment. (laughs) Anyway, but, uh, so it's been a little bit, but we've returned to you now, 12.2 listeners at the turn of the tide. Not really, but there's a reference they might get that they might get that one. Yeah. Um, so anyway, last December we did an episode on consciousness. It was episode 20 called the great silliness. And we were essentially comparing contrasting a theory of consciousness called illusionism with consciousness realism. And in particular, it was a paper by Keith Frankish. I think it was called Illusionism as a Theory of Consciousness. And um, we tagged Keith in our tweet disseminating it, you know, the episode on Twitter. And he listened. And then he, after listening, responded on Twitter with his own tweet about having listened and what his impressions were. And one of the things he mentioned was wanting to butt in, but he couldn't, you know, because he wasn't talking to us directly. So Harland invited him uh, and, uh, you know, invited him on the podcast, and essentially, (laughs) practically a year later, uh, you know, we're, we're finally here. And so this is an episode where we actually discuss illusionism and other things with keith frankish um so without further ado i am ryan back to school night mckenna and i'm harland set your sights inward grant and this is the doddler's philosophy podcast with guest keith frankish All right, so essentially this is a continuation from before. Uh, We did our own little episode on what we called the Great Silliness and it was about consciousness and whether or not it exists. And uh, we tagged Keith Frankish ourselves in the tweet that we put out and he listened and he responded and we had a little bit of a correspondence. One of the things that he had mentioned was he wanted to butt in a lot and uh so here we are talking to Keith frankish finally after dawdling forever
2: (laughs) (laughs) so welcome thank you for having me it's a pleasure to be here yes um
1: so i'm gonna actually hand it over to harlan to kind of begin this because you know really it's the boat the beef the The bone to pick is between you two. So, Well, yeah, we'll see. And that
0: hopefully will be interesting and a little bit different than at least some of the other Frankish bits one can find listening around the (laughs) Internet. Because in, uh, I think it was episode 20, The Great Silliness was what we titled it, which was a phrase we took from a Galen Strawson paper where he was complaining uh, with those who want to... In one way or another, discount, eliminate, not accept consciousness into their ontology, uh, including prominently through philosophers like Daniel Dennett, the Churchlands, or Frankish. So when I think when you listen to our episode, one of the things you mentioned was it's unusual to be critiqued from the eliminativist side, and to be told that you don't go far enough, which I guess is where I was coming from in that episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm. Um, we'll see if we can, I think we should probably start with a brief, well, I'd like to hear what your version of the realist's claims are, because the paper that we talked about in that episode was one entitled illusionism as a theory of consciousness so no.
2: please for our listeners
0: define consciousness what is it you're making a theory of
2: all ah, right yes good question well i don't think consciousness is is, is one thing um, i think we, the term is used in, in different ways and it's confusing and what some people see as the the very heart of consciousness what consciousness is other people see as um, I see as an illusion. So it's, it's not easy to find a common starting point. What are we trying to explain? And the way I like to do it is to just, just start with some everyday examples. So just look at something around you or concentrate on something you can hear or smell or feel or taste. Okay, now something's happening there, okay? right, uh, And it's different from what would be happening, say, if you hadn't really noticed that thing if you had sort of picked up a bit of information about it to say uh, subliminally I mean sometimes we things have an effect on us without us really noticing it unconsciously we might say and sometimes they have an effect on us in a rather more uh, conscious way in a way that we notice we notice kind of that we're 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 having this experience the experience is kind of um, at the forefront of our minds if you want to say So if you attend to something, if you attend to, say, a cup in front of you or the the color of the wall, then let's say that's a conscious experience, okay? And I think everyone agrees that those things happen, whatever they are, um, and that they don't happen when you're asleep or when you're unconscious, or if you're really kind of not paying attention, you're just kind of uh, focused on something else. Maybe when you're driving, perhaps you're unconscious. Sometimes if you're engaged in a conversation with your partner in the car, you're maybe taking in information about the road in a sort of unconscious way maybe you're still responding to it but you're not it's not perhaps i mean this is controversial conscious so take some of these absolutely um, paradigm examples of what we call conscious experience when you're tending right now i'm tending right now to a cup in front of me that is a sort of purple color and i'm attending to it okay i'm having a conscious experience i'm happy to say that now the question is what does that involve the well, let's 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 say what does it involve? Well, one thing that involves is that all kinds of that sense, signals are coming from 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 my um sense organs, from my eyes. Uh, uh, nerve impulses are traveling from my retina t- along the optic nerve, eventually to the visual cortex at the back of my brain. These signals are being processed by dedicated visual processing areas in my brain, and information about the world is being extracted from them about the colour and the the distance and the shape of the object, and at higher levels, uh, the object is being classified as a cup, as a, well as a solid three-dimensional object, as a cup or whatever. And then that information is being used by other parts of my brain to um, prepare me to act. If it's a cup uh, full of um, uh, coffee and I need a coffee, then I might be, I might reach out to drink it, and the information would guide this action and so on and so forth. On the other hand, if it's if it's a snake that I'm aware of, then the reactions will be very different. Now, again, everybody, I think on all sides of the debate, agrees that this is happening when you're when you're having one of these things that we call a conscious experience. But for some people, we haven't really even and, and we could tell that story in, in great detail. And this is what neuroscience is trying to do. And I suppose it will take some time before we get the, the complete picture. But there's no reason to think we can't do this, I suppose. But some people say that it, in telling all that story which is all very relevant and interesting we haven't really yet mentioned consciousness itself the real heart of consciousness and this is sometimes called phenomenal consciousness and this is the idea is that something else is happening the brain's doing something else as well as all that all that information processing it's sort of creating a kind of inner experience a subjective experience there's something it's like for me to see the cup it's not just that I get information about the cup and where it is what size it is, and this so one, and but I'm prepared to act on it I'm also having an a subjective experience of the cup it's like something to see it there's a kind of inner dimension to all this and whereas all the other stuff all the information processing stuff is in principle public you know neuroscientists could get in there and start imaging what's happening in my brain they could um and they could start. To, in principle, they could they could discover all about this. They could put electrodes in there and find out which neurons are firing and so on. This subjective aspect is is only known to me. Only I really know what it's like to see the cup. What, what you know, what this, what the purple of the cup actually feels like to me. Um, and this is for many people. When people talk about consciousness, it's this inner subjective side to it that they think is the real. Uh, the the the, the the crux of the matter and consciousness in that sense is what I call an illusion I don't think there is anything other than all the information processing stuff and this idea that there is this private subjective world is the illusion uh, okay so I, that that's my that that's a fairly simplistic sort of take on it but I think most people who are realists would would accept something like that characterization. There's a good deal of debate as to exactly what you're committed to in being a realist. Um, But I think that broad characterization is fairly, fairly accurate. So is that how you understand realism?
0: I think so. Well, other than the fact that I don't understand it, uh, Mm -hmm. the way that I characterized it in the previous episode and still feel the same way, even after your... Turn right here was that mm-hmm. to me it just sounds like a shotgun blast of synonyms that seem <laughs> to make a sort of really tight semantic circle that all these things mm-hmm. are just defined in terms of themselves and none of them reach out and connect up with any other interesting parts of our intellectual edifice. And mm-hmm. I've think that if we have a situation like that, that that's a problem for the proponent. What do you think about the general metaphysical attitude of the proponent of any ontological posit has the burden to, number one, clearly define what they want me to accept, and then two, to provide arguments to motivate uh, acceptance of it into my ontology?
2: Mm-hmm. Now you're putting me in a, in a position, in a very unusual position here because you're asking me to defend something. I mean, I, 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 I agree totally with what you just said. So you're putting me in a position now of defending something that I've never really tried very hard to defend. So you really should be asking someone like Philip Goff or David Chalmers to defend this. And I probably won't do a very good job, but let me try. Um, because I think it's important that we understand, and this is this is one of the aspects of illusionism that that makes it a, perhaps a little bit different from other forms of eliminativism. But I want to try to understand why realism seems so compelling. And in a way, what illusionism is? Let me maybe I just say this now. It's kind of eliminativism. I think we should eliminate this notion of the subjective, um, the essentially subjective. Um, uh, the notion of phenomenal consciousness from our thinking about the mind. But I don't just think we should eliminate it. I think we should take seriously the intuitions that generate that notion. We don't just sort of forget about it. We say "But that picture is a very compelling one. And that fact in itself is a tremendously interesting one about the mind, the fact that it makes this picture so compelling. So I think it's important to understand the intuition, intuitions that drive it. Now, in terms of d- defending it at a, at a philosophical level I'm not sure that's easy because I, I like you I, I think that you know there should be some traction somewhere with the rest of our picture of the world and there absolutely isn't and that's kind of the point it's essentially subjective so if it's essentially so sub- and this is why I think it's it's very dangerous not dangerous perhaps too but it's 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 seriously misleading because people go looking for the neural correlates of this of, of consciousness in this sense in the subject. And you cannot find the neural correlates of, correlates of something that's essentially subjective because you have no access as a scientist to one of the two things you're trying to correlate. All you can correlate are supposed indications or signs of phenomenal consciousness, physical observable signs of it, like reports or button presses or something like uh, that, with uh, stimuli or activity in the brain. So no, you can get absolutely no traction on it, I agree. And that's one reason why I'm suspicious of it. I don't, as, like Daniel Dennett, I don't believe in the idea of a first-person science that just doesn't, in any way, uh, 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 sort of, uh, what's the word? I'm want to use the word traction again. That doesn't get any bite uh, with our third-person science. Now, so why do people? Why are people happy with this? Well, for, I guess it's. It's a matter, I suppose, of epistemology. They just think that these facts about this subjective realm are presented to them in a peculiarly direct and immediate way um, that they don't necessarily, I think perhaps have to be foundationists, but they think these things are known to them with more certainty than anything else that they know. So we could be living in the matrix. It could be that everything we, or all our science of the external world is simply science of a simulation rather than of something um, real. But we, our experience itself couldn't be a simulation. That is something that is presented to us in the most immediate way. And so they'd say, well, you know, okay, maybe this is kind of metaphysically, you know, different, you know problematic. And how do we fit this into the picture of the world that we, that science presents us with? But somehow we've got to do it because it is an irreducible fact about our existence.
0: But there what is their argument or evidence for the existence of this irreducible feature? Because all I ever hear is vehement testimony. But I think most people agree, if you just jump up a level to methodology and ask, is testimony Mm -hmm. sufficient for ontology? We'll agree that it Mm -hmm. is not. But then it appears to me that they go on to do it when it's their pet uh, what they really need, emotionally or something, to believe in. Um,
2: yeah, as I say, I, 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 I don't, I don't have absolutely no brief for them. Um, but let me keep trying to, to pretend I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I guess. And it's interesting. i i, I, I actually I, I feel a little ashamed. i should have I should have tried to think myself more more firmly into this mindset. um if i if you want to criticize a view, you really need to understand it as, as again as I often quote Dan Dennett because you know a huge admirer of his work, um as he said says that if you want to criticize someone's view, you should understand it at least as well as they do. I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you should be able you should be able to present it to them in such a way that they say, wow i couldn't have expressed it better myself and only when you've done that are you in a position to criticize it okay so you need to be charitable you need to take the strongest form of the position um the sort of things you said i mean I, I, i'm just nodding i'm just saying yep 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 yep, yep. that's exactly why I, i'm suspicious of this but let's try to think ourselves into this is it hard to think ourselves into it isn't it I, Well, they they might say you don't need to think yourself into it. It's just the um, the default mindset. As soon as you begin perhaps to reflect a little bit, you realize that the world of subjective experience is the only thing you can really be sure of. I mean, you could doubt that there is a world out there. And in fact, science tells us that the world out there isn't the way it seems to us. It seems to me that there are colors, painted on the surfaces of things around me. And of course, in a sense, there are. Um, but it seems to me that those colors, as I experience them, the redness of the of the of the apple, the blueness of the sky, that these are somehow completely independent of me. And science tells us that that's not really so because all there are out there are sort of structural features of the surfaces that reflect light of certain wavelengths or whatever. And um, you know, science doesn't actually find these qualities, the, the blueness of the blue but nevertheless the blueness of the blue is undeniable if you just stare at something blue you say well there's something there damn it that you <laughs> know isn't cap- isn't captured by science the way the blueness you know the way it sort of b- blues at me <laughs> you know this this damn is it, there and now science says okay it's not really out the science doesn't describe The world in terms of these qualitative properties—it seems to be able to do without them. Just talks about wavelengths of light and stuff. So, where the hell? What the hell is this blueness? I can't, you know, I can't deny its existence. It's there more immediately than anything else. So, if it's not actually there, sort of painted on the walls and the cups and the apples and so on, it must be in my mind somehow. And this must—this world of colors and qualities and so on—must be a creation of my mind. And and then, of course, you get these thought experiments, which you get even quite young children doing these spontaneously. Does the world look the same to other people as it looks to me? If we built a robot that was an exact kind of functional duplicate of me, whose brain, whose electronic brain did all the information processing that my brain does and responded to things in just the same way, would it actually feel like anything inside? Would it be conscious? Would it have this inner world that I have? What is it like to be a bat? These questions are quite natural ones i mean i remember myself at quite an early age I, I came up with this idea you know exactly the idea that nagel has in his at paper that for something to be conscious to be a sentient creature is for it to be like something to to be that creature for it to have an internal perspective and i think there's something right about this something not what not in the way that that um, uh, i think it's, uh, it has a certain sort of perspective on things but let's okay well yeah now, so let's concentrate oh. on the blueness of the blue what are you going to say about that they say look that, that the blueness of the blue is undeniable it's it's just presented to me in a way that i can't escape oh you're saying that that's what we should talk about yeah, yeah I, proposed, I, I think yeah. that's what, what so, i i remember at a conference when this was being presented uh, that someone just picked up a sheet of bright red paper and just held it in front of another speaker and said there that's what i'm talking about that redness that blueness, that, what do we say about that?
0: I have not yet appreciated why these sort of Cartesian claims in the like I think, therefore I am, or I am incapable of doubting my own existence, or I cannot deny the redness of the paper, how that is anything other than a commentary on the agent giving the reports. It is a capacity that you lack. You are incapable of doubting it or denying it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't get you to metaphysics. No, that is I, psychology plus mm-hmm. language plus dispositions. If you are this meat pile that <laughs> tends to report X given stimulus Y, and that isn't metaphysics. Would it?
2: Couldn't agree more. Uh, that's exactly what I think is the, the well, give I'll take a few, yeah. Tweaks the the right way to think of it. Um my but I guess my but I think most certainly my experience of trying to present that kind of view to people is that they say that's very, very, very hard to accept. And that it's it's as I mean, uh, I was having an exchange with Philip Garfield the other day and he said that seems to him something like Uh, some radical skeptical hypothesis. Like maybe that's what it could be. Maybe it could perhaps, maybe I shouldn't put this in Philip's mouth because it might be, or maybe I'm misrepresenting. But anyway, that may be a a remote possibility uh, in the way that it's a possibility that we're living in the matrix or that the entire universe was created five seconds ago. But it's just an extraordinarily implausible one. And certainly this is how this is how people feel about it. That They say you, what you're doing is you're providing some sort of... Um, uh, it just doesn't engage with where they are starting, I guess.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. One of the gimmicks that we've got going on on this show is that we've got one host who's kind of coming at it from a philosophy background and one who's coming at it from a quote-unquote science background. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to loop Ryan in here because he makes a comment looking at philosophy from the outside that Mm -hmm. I have a lot of sympathy for. And he says, yeah, philosophers are lazy or (laughs) they don't try hard enough or they're not, um, the institution of it isn't hard enough on each other. If I tried Mm -hmm. to get away with these moves in science, (laughs) I would be flunked out of the classroom or whatever. So why in philosophy, are we so touchy feely and care? What is hard for people? Oh, it's hard. I can't believe that. I'm well at work, you know. That, who, why do we care? So, we,
1: Ryan, say it in your way, and then, oh, <laughs> um, oh, geez. Now, now I'm on the spot. Um, <laughs> I think my biggest issue is that when it comes to something like when I hear, Someone say my subjective experience is is core data. I think that's the Mm Chalmers thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, when it comes to something like science, if you're even just gonna do like a survey, you Mm -hmm. have to have like a data collection model so that you can even answer the question that you wanna that you're asking, you know, and there's so much infrastructure that gets put into it to, to at least attempt to limit the amount of biases that you might be bringing into your research and that's just so hard to do it's just it's not it seems simple enough uh you know in in practice it's not you know in 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 principle it's it it it, you know that's what motivates us to go out and try and do it i think but like how much failure there is in science and how much effort there is to Mm. just even uh use the the, the technology, or to keep track of all the variables. You know what it comes down to is, you can't have mission creep, and you got to have some kind of version control on everything. And to say something's, you know, core data, but I can't access it, or even if it is just reports, mm-hmm. like it, well, well, then those reports we have to funnel them through something before we can yeah. actually start to say, well, we're going to evaluate them in a standardized way,
2: mm-hmm. to
1: be able to feel somewhat confident about what we're doing. And I guess, uh, I watched that thing with you and uh, mm-hmm. Richard Brown and Philip Goff, and the, if I'm paraphrasing this correctly, but at one point, Philip said something to the effect of science doesn't tell us what mass is. And mm-hmm. it just, it I guess it's a frustrating thing to see that kind of approach because, you know, what do you mean science or physics doesn't tell us what mass is it just that drives me crazy like uh, there's so much work there's so many people in science who are just right now flunking out of it because it's so hard and they are trying to get money to uh, just like everybody else in this world but in science this just seems to be this extra layer of you know uh, it feels to me like there's a sort of beat down that can happen and success that's why i think some of these scientists are so confident the ones that are the most successful and i think it's because they're like thank god it worked nothing can compare (laughs) to the agony of trying to make it work you know uh but that's my approach that's my perspective on our discussion
2: i'm in a strange position here because I'm, I'm, i'm i'm you know nodding along to everything you're saying and i'm uh, and I'm trying to put a counter position, uh, playing devil's advocate. Partly, I think to explain why I want to talk about illusion because I want to try to not vindicate their intuitions, but take them seriously and explain them. Okay, so I, 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 I don't trust that these intuitions at all. I mean, I kind of have them myself, but I, I don't trust them um, about the reality of phenomenal consciousness. And, uh, but I take them seriously in the sense, I think they're important indications of what's really happening. And they're important psychological data in themselves—the reports, the intuitions. Uh, so I do want to take them seriously now. But I'm, but insofar as I'm trying to put their the the, the, the perspective of the people who believe in them, I'm, I'm probably doing a really bad job of that because I'm not I've not done it really before. Um, but I think <laughs> I, I think it is important. I think the, the depth and seriousness of the intuitions, I think, is is itself interesting. Now I suppose the sort of thing they would say to that is. And I think the sort of thing they should, well, the sort of thing I think they should say is, yeah, sure, all that is absolutely true when you're doing third-person science. Absolutely agree with all that. It's rigorous. It's difficult. It's, you know, it's incredibly hard. We can't, trust you know, we need to, uh, you know, we need to think about bias. We need to do all sorts of stuff. We need to really, it's really tough stuff. And, but what they're trying to do isn't science, or at least it shouldn't be. Uh, if they are, then they're really on shaky ground. It should, it's kind of metaphysics. Okay, so the idea is the idea behind the mass thing, as I understand it, is that science tells us all tells us what electrons do, it tells us what mass does, you know, it, it defines it in uh in dispositional terms, in terms of how these things interact with each other. But then you can ask this question. And I, like you think I probably like you think it's a misguided question, but it still seems a reasonable one to ask. Um what but what really is you know, an electron in itself? What is the thing that does? that plays these roles, that has these disciplines. What is mass in itself? Okay, So you need to have some sort of notion of the intrinsic nature of the thing. And then the thought is, well, what could what could this intrinsic nature be? Obviously science isn't gonna tell us about it because science only maps kind of causes and effects and stuff uh, and interactions and whatever, the, the structure and the dynamics of the world. What could this absolutely intrinsic nature be? Well, hey, you know, we have an, an idea of the intrinsic, we have, we have this idea of the intrinsic nature of of ourselves. Because, uh, 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 as well as all the processing and the stuff, the information, but there is this inner aspect to it, and so this gives us a sort of a conception of something that's absolutely intrinsic. And so then you say, well, maybe that's the that's the answer to the other question, and you kind of you solve two questions at once, supposedly. You find the nature of these quiddities, these essential, these these intrinsic natures of the ultimate particles, and the nature of consciousness. Um, uh, and you have a sort of the, 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 an answer to both the questions. I, I don't buy that, but the, I think that, that's an understatement to say I don't buy it. But I think they would say that isn't science itself. It's metaphysics. And you need philosophers <laughs> to do metaphysics precisely because it's not science.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, you don't think that's... Well, this is a little bit vague, and we won't go super deep into it because we're talking about consciousness. But don't you think that science is
2: a metaphysics, or as a metaphysics, yeah? um, It certainly—I guess—it involves all sorts of metaphysical assumptions, I suppose. but which again, though, I suppose philosophers would say, and that's again why you, why you can't just do science on its own. you need to reflect on the foundational assumptions of it. And again that's you know these aren't part of science. The foundational assumptions of a scientific project are not part of science itself. And I mean, you know a notion like causation say, I mean it's not clear that science is going to explicate that if it's a fundamental notion of science. Um, so again, you need to do some metaphysics of it.
0: When you say things like we have, this certain mm-hmm. notion or concept, whatever. I'm hearing anthropology. This, I still don't mm-hmm. get how these people make an ontological argument out of reporting intuitions that they have, or right. even that a culture has, or even that all of humanity has. This is mm-hmm. it's ethology and anthropology. I don't see the philosophy there.
2: No, uh, well, I think, look, I mean, I, 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 this is a strange position for me. Uh, I think this intuition about the, the you know the blueness of the blue, the fact that there's a there's a there's a reality to my experience that see doesn't seem to be explicable in terms of neurons firing and these sorts of things. That uh, it seems mysterious to us whether a a suitably advanced AI would have an in, inner life. Now, I don't trust those intuitions, but I do have them. I do understand why this seems compelling. And I do also, and I think we should re- resist those intuitions, I, I think that we shouldn't trust them, but I do feel the pull of them. And now I'm not quite clear whether you're, I mean, you mean, you, you guys are really sort of hard-headed science guys, and I'm all for that. But do you, do you, do you not feel these intuitions? Uh, or do you not feel they're as strong as other people? Do you see why some people want to treat them as kind of epistemically basic, that this is a place where we can start? Uh, do, do you not even feel the pull of that? In
0: one sense, I do. Like I'm not mm-hmm. one of the, you know, I think the phrase <laughs> that they sometimes use in the literature is don't feign anesthesia or something. Right, 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 right. right, right. I, in a sense, I get it. But then okay. when asked what, in what sense, I would mm-hmm. say, what I'm noticing or pointing out or admitting to is a tendency to make Mm -hmm. certain reports when asked Mm -hmm. certain questions. Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. think that tendency to make reports or that uh, Mm -hmm. linguistic disposition Mm -hmm. indicates Mm -hmm. the existence Mm -hmm. of something called an intuition. To label that as me having and reporting on an intuition is Mm -hmm. already theory-laden and potentially wrong. And I think that the best theories uh, in this day and age don't include intuitions or, and this is something that I wanted to get into with you, seemings in them.
2: Oh, uh, right. Uh, this okay. So now we may be getting to a, to a bit of a of a disagreement. I think of course I don't mean seemings here in any phenomenal sense or, or anything like that, in the intuitions are in any phenomenal sense, but I do think there is some sort of more basic um uh uh, well, let's we call them judgings, or takings, or interpretations, or something that maybe at a pre-linguistic level that that underlie this. I mean, it seems. See, I mean, could somebody without language uh, feel this way? Uh, make this probably, but well, they certainly couldn't make these judgments. I, I think, uh, and maybe they need a good deal of theory that's, that that they only get through 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 um, uh, language. But I, I do think there is some. So yes. I mean, look. I think this. Not, I was just going to say something else, so let me say that and then see if it helps. There's sort of, I think there's three positions you can take on these um these assertions that that uh, about the fundamentality of the the, the, the subjective and the phenomenon One is to say, yeah, I trust it. It's absolutely these assertions are right. It's true. That's a found, that's a foundation that we can we've got to accept the truth of it and somehow build it into our picture of the world. The other is to say, it's, you know, it's 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 bunkum. You know, just check it out. And the third is to say. I think something like this. That's a really interesting um, fact about human psychology, and it reveals something about uh, the nature of our own access to our own mental processes. That there's something about what we might call introspection, whatever that's a very broad term here. That make that I mean we that it's not just that we kind of monitor the world; we're in some sense monitoring ourselves, and this monitoring is the basis from which the on which these judgments build now maybe you need some sort of theory as well but there is a kind of there are some sort of introspective representations there and when you combine that with a with a theory you get this compelling position it's not just that we've got a bad just that we've got a bad theory about the mind and it's not just that we've got some sort of we kind of look inside and as it were misrepresent ourselves as having these qualities. It's that it's a some, somehow a product of of the hardwired access we have to our own uh, mental states and a theory we've applied to that. That's that's kind of the way I want to see it. So I take the intuitions. Uh, well, can okay, you you're not happy with the word intuitions? But I take these assertions in uh, as a, as a very interesting and perhaps. Um, a distinctive fact about human psychology
0: when talking about starting points,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I think we can at least the three of us hopefully can agree that one place that we could start that we all believe in is mm-hmm. the reports yep the linguistically infected noises yep. made by the yeah. the agents or in the study or <laughs> that we're looking at. That's I think what I think is the most basic that I'm able and willing to go. Mm -hmm. And if everyone believes in that, so then I see it as a step further Mm -hmm. to say, well, those are reports of intuitions slash seemings slash mental representations. And I'm also interested in what Mm -hmm. you're if you We didn't do a great job, in my opinion, of defining consciousness. It's still just this. Here's a bunch of other words. Ah, it's what it's like plus subjective and intrinsic. And Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. what's the definition of mental? Mm
2: -hmm, You mm -hmm.
0: say we have mental states or whatever. What's what's that?
2: Right. Well, I mean, uh, when I use the term, I simply means I. I I usually use it to mean something like representational. I, I think I probably use it in a sloppy way, um, but I certainly don't uh, use it to mean anything that's uh, that's essentially subjective or anything like that. Um, I, I don't use it in a way that a, 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 that, a that an artificial in- uh, intelligence couldn't have mental states. They're I, let's say representational states of some sort. I'm happy with the idea that intentional content is the mark of the mental. But I, I don't think a lot turns on it. In some cases, I, you could just substitute neural for, for mental. Oh, right, that's and exactly I what I
0: was just going to ask. And, and wonder why you don't. And maybe this, I don't know if this is the time, but I guess it's happening. Um, <laughs> so one of my questions about these the papers of yours that I have read and the interviews mm-hmm. that I've seen, and why I sometimes feel or wonder if you, quote unquote, go far enough, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. is just your rhetoric and vocabulary. You Mm -hmm. Because if when I and Ryan say things, you end Mm -hmm. up nodding along, Mm -hmm. it's not obvious to me that that's your position, given the literature, because you are willing to adopt so much of their vocabulary. From mental, you know, well, I'm going to keep the word phenomenal, but quit quasi in front of it. Or I'm going to keep the word seemings or experiences. And you seem to (laughs) continue to use much of their vocabulary. But then when pressed, you will say, oh, yeah, we could just say neural. And if you had said neural in the first place, I'd be on board. But you said mental, yeah. So what is? how do you decide which vocabulary to use and how to engage rhetorically?
2: Well, it's picking out... Well, the, one reason I use mental is that it's picking out a certain level of functional organization. I mean, there's all, all kinds of processes that are neural, but that are not representational, that are not... You know, that you can't capture... And I, I could say psychological. Psychological would do as well as, as mental. It's just picking out a certain level of organization, as I see it. I mean, I think of psychology as uh, uh, psychological terms as functional ones and the same for mental. So I'm just trying to pick out certain high level um, uh, uh, states and processes, um, which are ultimately neural. And now, uh, one reason I do this, I think, <laughs> look, um, I, 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 it'd be great for you guys to have uh, someone like 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 Philip Goff or, or, or David Chalmers on, um, because my I get an awful, uh, an awful lot of pushback from philosophers on, 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 on uh, given the way I'm putting it now. Okay, now if I tried to put it, if I put it in even more reductive terms, I'd have even less success. Now I really think that that, that the the what I want to do, if, you, if what do I want to achieve in philosophy? I want to kill the hard problem. I want to kill it. I want to stop people thinking that it's a problem. Uh, the easy problems, as Chalmers defines them, are the And and, which are not easy at all, but very, very hard in their own way. Those are the problems of consciousness. Any neuroscientist who thinks there's a hard problem is and starts doing research on that basis is wasting their time and their funding, in my view. So I want to kill the hard problem. That's what I want to do. Now, if I sort of just proceed on the basis that you know, kind of, it's meaningless to imagine there could be a hard problem. I'm not going to get much traction with the people who are committed to it. So I'm, yeah, I'm using a vocabulary that I hope will, you know, I'm kind of trying to talk, I'm gonna talk in their language, but hopefully say clearly enough in that language, uh, why I reject their, um, their, their, their fundamental commitments. That's kind of the aim of it. I, um, and I, if you wanna sort of put that in a more hardcore uh, framework, yeah, great. But you're gonna find it hard to engage with those people cause they're just going to say you're so, they're going to start using words like scientism uh and they're going to switch off they're going to say you're not even you're not even taking this seriously oh, um, but it
0: what if it doesn't deserve to be
2: taken seriously it deserves to be taken seriously because it matters because it's influencing people because people are looking for the neural correlates of phenomenal consciousness and that is a wild goose chase if ever there was one people are you know i, I don't want to start sort of mentioning names and Things, but I think there's there huge research projects that are essentially a waste of time. I mean, mm-hmm. there's always there's always good stuff that comes out of this, so it's you know even with, so that's right. that's a bit, that's a bit nasty, and I don't want I don't want to shut down anybody's funding or annoy anybody, but because I'm a very you know ironic kind of fella, but I do think that there, we're going down a lot of blind alleys, and if you want to convince people of that, you need to kind of show that you understand where they're coming from, that you uh that you're not just dismissing them out of hand and this kind of I mean I I, I say I already get enough of these the silliest view ever ever uh, anyone ever um what's the I can't remember the quote now <laughs> the silliest anyone ever said I already get enough of that given where I'm coming from now and I feel that just kind of Wallace I, it, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I, I I think you've you've got to sh- again. It's that quote from Daniel about showing that you understand where they're coming from, showing that 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 you you don't. Um. You understand where that where their position seems like a convincing one to them. I think if you don't do that, uh, you're you're just not going to get anywhere, and it matters that we get somewhere on this um it's a bit like you know sort of I guess I don't know maybe it's a sort of political analogy or something like that I don't want to get into politics, but if you really show absolutely no understanding of the other side's concerns whatsoever then you're not going to persuade them to come over to your side if you just go you know just you're just you're just bad people you're just awful terrible can't even talk to you they're just going to get reinforced in their own position is the danger because they're just going to close ranks sort you know, circle the wagons or whatever it is and just you know uh, stick with their own community. We need to get them out of that and bring them over to this side, so that we can we can genuinely change things. That's how I, that's how I see it.
1: Yeah, I would say this is Ryan. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say, I think I understand that approach now because one of the things that I noticed in that conversation you had with Richard Brown mm-hmm. and Philip Goff. Was that? It seemed like two different sports were being played on the same field, and if somebody <laughs> said, ah, "You can't! That's a foul." The other <laughs> team would be like, "What do you mean that we can do that? It's perfectly fine, you know." And <laughs> you know, if you don't know what the other team is doing, then <laughs> it's just going to be a lot of balls flying in the air or whatever.
2: Yeah, you've. I mean, you've got to. You've, you've got to. You know, you've got to sort of infiltrate a bit and try and. You know. Um, Blow it up from inside a little bit. Uh, it's uh, you know Dan Dennett's uh, again. I'm mentioning Dan Butcher' um, uh, notion of ch- uh, chmes, which is a, a game that you play on a chessboard with chess pieces. But just I don't know that one or two of the rules are different. I don't. <laughs> know. Bishops can move in a different way or something. Right now, schmess. Now there's a massive amount being written about chess, and chess has been studied, and there are books and books of theory and strategy. And you know, oh, it's a massive. Nothing's been written about schmess but chmes is as you know intrinsically it's as it's as important as chess you know and it's just kind of arbitrary which game we're playing and i i guess that's a ten, temptation there i'm tempted to see some philosophy like that it's just you know it's just a uh, a game with arbitrary rules um but it's a game that's got a lot of influence at the moment and i think this and uh, within um philosophy of mind and, and also, with, with, with it, to some extent, within the neuroscience community, notions like, um, uh, well, you know, property dualist notions, even panpsychist notions are getting some some, some influence. Uh, and it, there seems to be a certain revival, there seems to be a revival of panpsychism at the moment. And I think we need to understand why that is and kind of show people a path from their starting point, well, perhaps not from their very starting point, but from things that they do um uh, they do uh, i mean telling them that your starting point is just obviously wrong isn't going to do it you've got to say look i see why that starting point is so massively persuasive to you and I'll, i'm going to try and explain that i'm going to try to help you see why that's a incredibly uh compelling uh illusion but an illusion nonetheless now If you just go well you you know there's nothing more than the reports and you know that's it they're not they're not even going to listen
0: that might be well it's definitely more the case for old folks right than developing (laughs) so what if is is that true well i i maybe i don't know you think not
2: I don't know. I know. I know. I'm. I genuinely don't know. I. Um. I mean, there seem to be quite a few young and up-and-coming panpsychists around. Um. I mean, certainly you know, Philip and Sam Coleman yeah. and people like this. They're young. They're younger than me. So. um,
0: <laughs> Oh, I'm talking about you know uh, kindergarteners or what you yeah, know as we're <laughs> just getting started. So maybe I'm wrong <laughs> that this is in large part the attitude of the institution, the academic institution of science, but won't they be more Dismissive. They'll just say, "No, no, no. I know that you maybe think that you're doing science. You're doing it wrong. You need to learn how to do it right." They don't take whatever kindergarten epistemology they have developed seriously and and get down on their knees and talk to them in their own terms. Oh, Timmy. Well, you know, I understand that you think you have qualia, but why not just say? you haven't even met step one. You haven't defined your terms and motivated your, you have no arguments and mm. you're just doing this wrong and be a little harder on them. Might that not be a better political <laughs> decision if the goal is to change minds?
2: Uh, look, I've, I've no objection to people trying that. Um, I've generally, I know I'm a kind of, I'm a sort of Irenic guy. I, you know, I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to fight, you know. I just I want yeah. to try and for straight <laughs> Now, if you guys want to, you know, go out there on the streets, I mean, uh, go for it. I mean, we need all approaches. I, I do think this matters. I think it's it's seriously distorting our understanding of you know ourselves, and uh, and so yeah, uh, you know, go for it. I'm, I'm not. I don't think there's only one way to fight this fight, and if that's how you guys want to do it, uh, great. But I, I would also say one thing. I don't think scientists. I was. I was. I was. Um, innocent uh, on this as, as you, s- you you might think. I think that dualistic, assum- not substance dualistic, but property dualistic assumptions are, are, are common within um, science. Perhaps not so, well, I don't know. I mean, the whole search for the neural correlates of consciousness, what's that about? Now, if you're searching for the neural correlates <coughs> of some sort of uh, perceptual discrimination, yeah fine you can do that or some sort of reaction you can do that if you're searching for the neural correlates of the subjective feel I I am never going to do that that's just that's 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 a it's 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 impossible in principle because would you you say
0: that's an analogous move to looking for the atomic or molecular correlate of caloric fluid
2: would I say that it's the, it's, the, it's the, the, no, no it, it's it's not at all because uh, because you can get a grip on these things through observation and experiment, you, know, I mean, they're, they're you can't get a grip on the essentially subjective through theory and experiment. No, it's a totally it's it totally escapes the 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 the, 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 the causal nexus. So there's no way you can you can. It's it's it's, it's, it's a non-science project.
0: I might have misspoke, but I was attempting to appeal to one of those standard examples like the ether or the col- the things that we talk about in the pessimistic meta-induction arguments about science mm-hmm. used to believe in this thing and it no longer does. So, you know, I would, I, I'm told we used to think that heat came from this caloric fluid or something, but now mm-hmm. we think it would be molecular kinetic energy or whatever. So I was saying, is searching for the neural correlative consciousness analogous to searching for the Chemical correlate of caloric fluid, something that we no, no. longer think. No, you don't know,
2: so. it's definitely not. Not if it's good, not if what you're searching for is the new code of phenomenal consciousness, essentially subjective stuff. Absolutely not, because you've no third person grip on it at all. I theory, experiment, nothing is observation, nothing is going to give you a grip on it. Uh, you can all you can look for are correlates of some kind of supposed putative indications of it, you know, that, 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 that the subject can do this or that if they're conscious, and you can look for that, you can it that. You can't, if it's essentially subject, you're never going to be, the, 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 I mean, we might be able to kind of eliminate it, but that will be on the basis of these wider sort of theoretical considerations, but we're not taking these intuitions seriously. But if people are taking those intuitions seriously, and then they're looking for the neural correlates of this thing, then it's it's a complete wild goose chase. And yet there are scientists doing that.
0: How about the architectural correlate of ghosts? (laughs) Like that which goes bump in the night and all the creaks and noises or whatever. And then we go looking around for the ghosts that caused it when we have good reason to believe that it was just the Wood in the walls, or what? Is that a better analogy?
2: You can can look for the you can look for the architectural correlates of the indications of ghosts, and for the indications of You can't look for if ghosts are not, you know, you can you can posit ghosts. I mean, if you want to believe in ghosts, there's nothing, there's no way science can stop you because you can just say they're completely unobservable, undetectable. Maybe I have some sort of intuition that they're present. Maybe I know when there's a ghost there, even though science can't pick it up. You can say that, and that's exactly the case with consciousness. Okay, I mean, I, I sound like I'm the I'm the hard nosed science guy now. What's going on? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm trying to agree with you, and I'm I'm trying to make parodies
0: of how bad this movie. Oh
2: right, right. Sorry, sorry. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, trying, I'm trying to be. Sorry. Yeah. So no, so, but you, but you're kind of doing the thing. I yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. No, no. Looking exactly. for consciousness
0: is as bad as, or maybe even yeah, worse. Yeah, yeah, than yeah, looking for yeah. ghosts.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yes, um, of course, it, c- you could say that ghosts. Are just sort of peculiar kind of reactions we have to certain creepy kind of situations. Yeah, ah, ah, and then we they fine. That's no problem. We could say that consciousness. When we talk about consciousness, what we talk, it's enough to, we don't have to say that there's nothing at all going on. Of course, this, these reports that we issue are not just issued randomly. You know, they're indications of something happening. It's not anything. Hap- it's not what we think is happening, but something's going to make the report. To this is why I use the word crazy phenomenal there's, or we could say pseudo, pseudo-phenomenal might be better, I think. Uh, there's something happening, some neural processes are happening, that you know, that, that cause the reports and the reports are kind of reliably correlated with something or other happening, uh, but not something essentially subjective or something phenomenal or whatever. And again, you know, ghost reports are reliably, I guess, well, maybe they are, but they could be reliably correlated with, I don't know, squeaky woodwork or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it might be. and we can find that and there's no problem there. The, the, the reason I, I, I sort of got into this about neural correlates is that y- y- you were kind of talking as if scientists were sort of um, like you know, the good guys and philosophers the bad guys. I think there's a lot of bad philosophy assumed by people who are doing science of consciousness. Um, so I don't think it's just a matter of saying you leave it to the scientists. I think scientists are susceptible to, to and, and, and one of the, I mean, the people who really worry me are the people who claim not to believe in this kind of stuff claim to be physicalists, but still have you know can't really exercise these de- demons. They still have these assumptions um and which show up in various ways. Um yeah. uh, what Dan Dennett calls I the would... Cartesian materialists. And I think they are um a lot of people, a lot of philosophers think they are thoroughgoing physicalists, but they still say, but we still have we're still you know there's still something it's like of course to be as of course there's something it's like to be as and yeah you know, we need to explain that. Um, you, what I call you know diet qualia, sort of not the full blown qualia that Dan Dennett attacked in his famous paper, but some sort of watered down version of it. I don't think you can have that at all. I think that's um, uh, it's yeah. like being a little bit a little bit pregnant. You know, it just doesn't. It just doesn't, <laughs> yeah. you, you can't can, uh, be a kind of state that's a little bit essentially subjective. And the, if it's not um, essentially, sorry,
1: no. I think the one thing that I tend to repeat. along these episodes is that science at some point kind of got away from advancements in philosophy or even working with philosophers Mm -hmm. and what they have become really good at because there's been some success, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, with like R.A. Fisher Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, uh, uh, Pearson and all that. Is mm-hmm. philosophy of statistics, and I think a lot of <laughs> scientists focus much of their energy now on that, and of mm-hmm. course the, you know, the numerical aspect mm-hmm. of uh, science and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, when it comes to just having a metaphysics or whatever it is mm-hmm. that they would have, it's they there's a, they've got a lot to work. Mm-hmm. A lot of work to do, so it's just uh, I kind of right. think, and, you know, for instance, a lot of them are still very much, in a way, logical positivists and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. everything's you know mm-hmm. they really believe mm-hmm. in falsification, and yep, they yep. also want to let the data speak for itself. <laughs> you know, yep. and that yep. kind yep. of yep. stuff. Yep. So that yep. you're right. Yep. But at the same time, they at least have <laughs> that philosophy of statistics that helps. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I agree. Yes, no, okay. now, I, I do think science is philo- philosophy, good philosophy. I mean, there's a, there are a lot of people now in, in the philosophy of mind, or, or they might not even call themselves philosophers of mind, philosophers of psychology, philosophers of cognitive science, who are essentially doing sort of very broad brush theorizing based on empirical work. And I think that's really important. And it's often quite difficult for people like Peter Carruthers, for example, who was my supervisor. I, I don't know if you know his work, doing great stuff, I think. Um, now, uh, I think it's very important that that we do this broad brush theorizing that kind of tries to draw together a lot of empirical data, maybe from different areas, and tries to see how it all kind of fits together and to try and get a general idea of what's going on. And often scientists are discouraged from doing that. You know, you have to get, you know, stick to the data, stick to it. You know, uh, and you know it looks a bit kind of amateurish to do this. And you know, philosophers have a license to speculate. So I think that that, that <laughs> you know the licensed fools. You know, and so there's a. I, I think we can contribute a lot in that way, provided you know we are you know, ultimately led by the data, um, and we don't go off on these sort of metaphysical um, uh, flights of fancy. Um, so I, I and I, I, I actually, I th- in a way, philosophy of mind kind of does you know bifurcate between people who see themselves as doing primarily doing sort of metaphysics of mind or something like that, and philosophers who see themselves as doing uh, very theoretical psychology. Or in the mm. very theoretical neuroscience, and I, I, with that, I'm, I'm firmly on the on the side of the of the latter. But um, I, uh, I guess, in my work on consciousness, though, I've been more trying to engage with the other people and trying to 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 uh, precisely because I think that 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 metaphysical project is 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 is, is causing it, it, it's it's causing a lot of of disruption. I think um to, to 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 the science of consciousness at any rate
1: right it's the outreach
2: yeah. yeah i don't want to i don't want to yeah i don't want to i'm not going to sort of name particular um research projects but there are there are some that i think are going i mean okay you know integrated information theory i think is um is, okay. is a project is a project let's <laughs> 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 that's, get that's going let's that's, that's going nowhere uh quite fast okay
1: all right. What are any others
2: now that we got you going? No, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to not gonna, not gonna do this here cause I'm a nice mm-hmm. guy. Uh, but I think, I think it wouldn't be too hard to, to extrapolate from what I've said So I'll let people do, draw their own conclusions on that. Right.
1: Um, yeah. The last, well, the one thing that I have is, and since I'm on the outside, on the outside, I, I'm i kind of wondering, because I don't know the literature as well uh, with respect to philosophy of mind and mm-hmm. consciousness uh, studies, mm-hmm. what about the binding problem and what do they, realists, for instance, often say about that and why isn't that a possible solution to the hard problem, even... You know whatever the solution for say something like feature binding why wouldn't that be a solution for the hard problem and uh i know hard problems got the subjective fields and all that mm-hmm. and it, the first person mm-hmm. component mm-hmm. but what if you could explain first person stuff
2: well h- hang on i mean you what, what what do you mean by explain first person stuff if you can explain I mean, you, you didn't like my word intuition, but I, I'll just say judgments. If you can explain our first-person judgments, hey, it seems to me like this. It seems to me like there's this kind of rich, integrated uh, 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 world of awareness here, you know, that it's sort of, that, that I have this field of, of vision and that it's rich and detailed right out to the extreme. And it's everything's, you know, all the different features of the world are all kind of bound together into solid objects around me and that and the other, uh, Modalities are also integrated into it nicely so that the sound's coming from the right place or whatever. Yeah, and the touch is also integrated with the way I see things and so on. That's how it seems. Now, all those judgments about that, they all need explaining. I think everybody agrees they need explaining. Um, And, you know, realists I assume would say, yeah, we've got to explain those judgments. And maybe that can all be done in terms of stuff that's going on in the brain. But we've also got to explain the first person reality of it all, the fact that it is like that. Now. The the illusionist project, I guess, is to try and say, look, try and explain the first thing, you know, all your judgments about this, and then see that you don't then need to vindicate those judgments. So maybe something like, so, you know solving the, the the binding problem insofar as it is a problem. I'm not sure how much it is a problem. They don't uh, they need to be coordinated, rather than bound out of thought. But anyway, let, let's that, solving those first kind of uh, problems, explaining why we have why why we judge that it's this way. Might then help to dispel the second problem, so that we don't have to then any longer trust that it is that way, because we would think that it was that way anyway, yeah. even if it wasn't. That's the idea. Do you, 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 you know David Chalmers' paper, the meta, the meta problem, which is the problem of explaining why there, why we think there's a hard problem, and he thinks that can probably be explained in you know, purely physical terms, in terms of brain process. The brain processes can explain why we judge that you know we have this. Uh, in a world of experience and the, the, the subjective experience and that there's a hard problem of explaining. He thinks all that can probably be explained in terms of processes in the brain. Nevertheless, he thinks there is such an internal inner world and there is a problem of explaining it. But of course, the illusion is just this. Once we've done the first thing, once we've explained our judgments about it, we just stop and say, you know, that's all. We, we think this anyway. So why trust it? It's we've debunked it.
0: Isn't that appeal evidence against your rhetorical strategy because he's telling you right now even if you succeed <laughs> professor frankish and do all that you you know you su- you've succeeded with all your easy problems i'm still going <laughs> to believe in this doesn't yeah, even well, matter
2: have a look at the paper because i i think i think uh, uh, david says that if he weren't a um you know a, 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 a phenomenal realist he he would be an illusionist he thinks it's the um if if he were a physicalist he'd be an illusionist and there's a dialogue at the end of that paper between the illusion that he constructs between the illusionist and the realist and as he admits himself you know the illusionist does seem to have some of the more interesting moves in that debate so i mean what it kind of brings out nicely i think is that these intuitions these judgments these reports of how it seems to me have really no evidential weight at all. there is just table banging at the end of the day that but damn it, it still is real. and I think having that explanation of the judgments, being able to discount the judgments and just you know leaving it to pure table banging, which of course is itself explicable in terms of the the uh, the neural processes uh, I think it highlights the the, the 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 dialectic in a really really sharp way, and I think once that sort of really sinks in with people. Then I think that's the best way of getting them to uh, to let go of the, uh, of the. I mean, well, we may still have some sort of strong disposition to just as we have a stro- we have a strong disposition to judge that the lines in the muller illusion are not the same length, and that d- disposition doesn't go away even when you've convinced yourself that they um, that they are the same length. The disposition's still there. There's still these, there's still kind of like some sort of you know a bunch of neurons in your head telling you to say they're different. And I think that's how it will be with consciousness. We'll still say, "Damn it, there's blueness. There's blue. There's, that's, the blueness is here, right at me." Um, we'll still have that, but maybe we'll just go, "Yeah, but that's that's don't trust it. You know, that's just, your, that's just I
0: think we will, uh, if I use this vocabulary, it will seem the same the next morning mm-hmm. after you have your illusionist uh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: epiphany and. <laughs> stop being a realist it will still seem the same to you in the morning Mm -hmm. but I wonder if it will seem the same after 10 generations and after the English language kind of morphs around the new theory and Mm -hmm. people grow up in the new cultural and linguistic milieu maybe they maybe it won't seem the same
2: anymore. That's a a lovely point I mean I think there are two elements to this illusion let's just use my Terms of the moment. I think there's, there's something about the hardwired nature of introspection. There's, there's some hardwired element to this. We're, it's not just that we've kind of just invented the story about ourselves without any basis to build it on. There's something about the nature of our, our introspective access that makes this a very attractive story for humans to tell about themselves. And then there's the story that we tell. Now, I don't think we're going to, without sort of, you know, serious kind of genetic engineering or something, we're not going to change the first aspect, but we can tell a different story. And we can try and develop ways of reinterpreting what introspection is telling us, or or what what dispositions introspection, what our introspective dispositions are. Uh, We can build another story around them, and arguably humans have done this. And people who know a lot more about Buddhist philosophy than I do tell me that there are Buddhist stories that are perfectly in line with 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 the illusionist perspective. So I'm sure we can do this. And just as we can we can tell stories about free will that capture all that's 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 important about it, I suppose. If anything is, uh, without you know uh, endorsing its 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 reality. Um, so yes, I think that's right, and I think we should start trying to do it because um, there are a lot of philosophers just kind of digging into the old picture and just you know sort of insisting yeah, we can't give up on it. And yeah, let's try. Let's see what we can do. I, as, 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 again i'm quoting then it is, he says if, if, if you say you can't imagine something you know you can't imagine how something could be the case well try harder you know mm-hmm. and this may take uh, this may be a process of building a story that we can yeah and it's a very important story because it's a story about our place in the world i it, it, panpsychism it gives us an extraordinary place in the world it says that that, that the kind of the stuff our minds are made of uh, is, in a sense, the very stuff that the universe is made. Well, well physics says that. Um, uh, it says that that our minds give us an insight. Our introspective abilities give us an insight into the fundamental nature of reality. When you reflect on your own mind, that gives you access to the very nature of matter itself. That's an extraordinarily extraordinary claim. It's very anthropocentric. Um, so yeah,
1: it's...
2: It <laughs> Now, I I, I know Philip thinks that that, um, panpsychism has some rather benign uh, metaphysical consequences. I think in in a way he's right, because one thing it does say is that there's no sharp dividing line between us and the rest of nature. If all of nature is kind of infused with consciousness, then we are not special. We are not, you know, the ones with the sort of the, uh, you know, with the soul and the, the God-given abilities or whatever that separate us from the rest of nature, uh, and I like that. And of course, the illusionist says exactly the same. Um, that there isn't a this, this sort of inner. Um, uh, in a, in a, uh, i can not remember what word I use now, but the the, the, the consciousness is is, is nowhere. <laughs> so we are exactly we are on, exact, uh, on exactly the same level as the rest of nature. So. Sorry, I've lost where I was going with this, but I do think these stories we tell have important implications for how we live. So they're not, yeah. just, a, it's not just a philosophical matter. It's not just a, a theoretical matter. I, Sorry, yeah,
0: I, I've, I've often disliked the way people employ the word just in both senses, because I don't believe in justice, <laughs> but that it's this <laughs> kind of dismissive, mere uh, philosophy. Well, that's just theory, and we don't, it's not relevant. Yeah, yeah. I, i think right, right. probably uh everything is relevant I, if our behaviors are influenced by our epistemology and our epistemology is influenced by our theories then you know it's not just theory it changes everything exactly um, exactly i think it's just theory one of the things that i wanted to get out of this and i think i have so i just want to check to confirm mm-hmm. is uh, sort of a short part one is <laughs> illusionism Eliminativist, but just plus a positive program, but it it does want to eliminate uh, Phenomenal consciousness if that's the phrase we use
2: Yes, 100%
0: okay, so that's good. So I think that between you and I to the extent I matter The differences are primarily rhetorical and not substantive. It's mostly Mm -hmm just the way that you choose to go about the if we use a militaristic metaphor, the attack, or the, <laughs> the undermining, the attempt to persuade people out of the hard problem and stop wasting their money and careers.
2: <laughs> yep, uh, in the course of you know, the last hour talking to you, I've not found anything that gives me reason to think that that's not the case, that there is any deeper I mean, I'll, I'm sure that we we we'd find little, uh, we find relatively minor things to 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 differ over. But in, the, in terms of strat- of uh, basic commitments, yeah,
0: I'm with yeah. That. Okay, so let me throw out one example of how I might do it differently. Mm-hmm. Rhetorically, this this attempt to argue them out of their position and see what you think of it. When well, we encounter the popular phrase "what it's like" or "what it's mm-hmm. likeness." You engage with that by saying, well, sure, there's something it's like, but let me actually double down on it and make a what it's like, too. And I'm going to change <laughs> the definition a little bit. And it's like something in this way. And this is, again, what it does with everything. Well, let me change the notion of free will so that you can keep it. And I've never <laughs> liked that. What I would want to do about what it's likeness is say, that is not semantically useful. You cannot do this as a defining activity. You're not defining anything. What you have done when you've attempted to define consciousness by what its likeness is given me a poetry assignment, quite <laughs> literally. Everything is like everything else in some respect or other and different from everything else in some respect or other. Otherwise, they wouldn't both be things and it would, or there wouldn't be two of them. So given enough ingenuity on the part of the poet, everything is like everything else. And if you say, describe your experience of phenomenal blueness when looking at the sky tell me what that's
1: like
2: <laughs>
0: you've it's a representational project as you would put mm-hmm. it you know you're asking yep. me to, into words but it, you know you're just you're giving me a writing assignment that i don't right. see how that helps anybody and that i would just go right at it and say stop using that as an attempt at a definition
2: because it's mm-hmm. not I, I, I certainly agree it's not a definition um i think there's something here that is worth talking about and that is you know you know kind of what i'm sensitive to and what it means for me there are certain things in the world uh, describing what um Dennett or sellers would call a manifest image um the things in the world we're sensitive to and the impact they make on us so i'm 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 you know i'm sensitive to certain you know kind of wavelengths of light and not others. I'm sensitive to certain chemicals in my food and not others. I'm sensitive to certain sounds and not others and so on and so forth. And they have significance for me. They mean something. They prime me to react sometimes very quickly. Um, and we can map this. This is kind of doing what I guess what Nagel called objective phenomenology which is kind of t- describing the significance of stimuli for us, what they mean for us. And this is, I think this is a perfectly, you know tractable scientific project. There's no problem about this at all. Um, we just have to sort of map, up, you know, uh, reactions to stimuli, and uh, it's an incredibly complicated one because the reaction is multidimensional. You know, there's effective reactions and there's uh, associations and there's all kinds of stuff that we need to factor into this. And it will yeah, be very. Free. Now, and in a sense, I think that that's you could say what we're doing there is mapping what the world is like for us and. The, what the world is like for me is different from what the world's like for a dog because it's got a different range of sensitivities and reactive dispositions and so on. And we can map that. And I am I mean, you know, again, strategically, I'm sort of kind to say to people, look, you, you do want to talk about something here. And yeah, talk about that and attach all your sort of intuitions about what it's like to that stuff. And then, you know, you don't just sort of say, you know, just you know, check them out, just ignore them because, you know, they're pretty, they've got a, a grip on it, but give them something to, to to latch, something better to latch those intuitions onto, which is a kind of, I guess, what Dennett does with free will. He says, talk about autonomy instead, which is a much more tractable notion and latch your intuitions onto that. But actually, I, I, I do, I think you'll find that in general, I mean, I, I agree that I've been ambivalent about this, but in general, I do tend to resist offering a kind of realist language in which to put my view, precisely because I want to confront people with the need to give up on phenomenal consciousness. So I think actually you'll find people who have a view quite similar to mine, but tend to cast it in realist terms, precisely because they want to just make a smooth transition between people's uh, commitments. And I think I'm probably a bit more hard headed about this than most people. But yeah, um, I'm honestly not sure um, what's the best strategy, but I think that's a reasonable way to, um, you know, rather than just asking people to simply sort of get off that, that 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 wagon altogether, you know, maybe just steer it in a different direction. Something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: Your strategy seems to me emphasizes the quasi-phenomenal properties. You're saying attend carefully to those and report on them to me.
2: No, 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 no. You 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 can't. Tend to those you, those the quasi phenomenal properties are the properties that cause your reports. You don't necessarily know what they are. You you, they, you think I mean naive realist thinks they are just what you know the reports say they are. That there's you know phenomenal blueness. Now, it's not phenomenal blueness. What is it? God knows. It's some kind. of, I don't. Know, some some. some complex of representational reactive states I suppose that's for science to tell you what the quasi not you can't just attend to this what you can do is you know sort of try and make your reports as careful as you can given the way that you normally make them whatever that is and that provides us interesting useful data for trying to track down what's the real cause of them it's like saying you know if you uh, you know, you, you say I'm sensitive to ghosts. Okay, tell me all about your sensitivities. What does it do? It makes sure, you know, it, it, is, it, is it primarily oral? Is it visual? Is it tactile? Is it, the, you know, the skin con- what conductive? What is it that makes you think there's a ghost there? We can map all that. And then maybe we can track down what is actually causing them to report this. And maybe it's to do with something in the atmosphere, to do with sounds, to do with whatever. So we need to get them to do this, what then it calls hetero phenomenology. We need them to elaborate these reports. But then we can tell them, What you're actually tracking there is something quite different from what you think you're tracking.
0: What if I put it this way? You're asking them to turn inward. Is that allowed?
2: Um, Not necessarily turning. I mean, just, you know, just asking them to say, you know, to produce whatever. I mean, yes, they can. Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly part of what what, that would be an interesting thing for them to do. How does it seem to you? to describe the nature of their experience, which might be put in external in terms of the external world or in terms of, of, of impressions of the inter- external world, I suppose. Well, I guess what uh-huh. I'm
0: trying to emphasize is I want them to turn outward in, at least to the extent that, as you just said, put it in terms. Okay, let's put it in terms. Mm. That's language. Let's concentrate on the language more than on how things seem to you. What do you feel like saying? And then we're going oh, to be yeah, looking...
2: That's what I, that's what I mean by that's what I mean by seeming. I don't seeming does. I don't seeming doesn't here mean in some sense, not in any phenomenal sense. It's not what you do. What you're disposed to say. What you're supposed to judge. Perhaps maybe you could judge it without expressing the judgment. But yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Essentially, what you're inclined to think and say.
0: It, yeah, I'm just trying to get at the. There might be a difference in the way that we talk about that might either reinforce. Their phenomenal realism because mm-hmm. if they look inside, and they're looking at that blueness and they're like, oh, what do I feel like saying about this?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas
0: if you come at them from another angle with a different rhetoric, it might get them to turn outward at the language and say, oh, I'm this weird biological computer that's been programmed with linguistic dispositions. Let's look at the structural metaphysics of English instead of, let's look at the blueness in my brain, in my mind.
2: Yeah, but I mean, you're not going to get them away from the intuition that their brain is, is contributing to the nature of the judgment, because it certainly is. I mean, uh, people who are colorblind give different reports. So there's certainly some internal processes that are you know, making a difference here. It's not, that, uh, uh, it's not just that we've mastered different vocabularies. There, is, there are reasons why we apply these vocabularies in, in certain ways. I mean, that's a psychological process or a neuroscientific project.
1: Mhm. You got any wrap-up <laughs> points? Well, no, no, nothing to wrap up. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, just maybe we could do this again sometime because I'm also interested in the kind of the history of consciousness research and thoughts as well as uh you know other kinds of ways that one can talk about consciousness yes yes. i rarely see any mention of evolution and i know it's out there and people talk about it to an extent but we're often quite presentists when Mm -hmm. we uh, approach this problem and i understand Mm -hmm. why but it'd be fun to explore the more historical both in you know an anthropological way but also an evolutionary way
2: anyway Uh, do you mean the evolution of the thinking about consciousness or the evolution of consciousness itself
1: well the evolution the evolutionary approaches in a biological sense right right. consciousness yeah i mean we talked about that but the three of us might have a hard time. <laughs> just cause it's not our wheelhouse.
2: Well, um, yeah, I mean do, do you know Nick Humphrey's work? Uh, instance, um, Nicholas Humphrey that sold us, for instance, which is a book I like a lot. It's a it's a it's a it's an illusionist story and it's it's an evolutionary story about the about the illusion. The idea is that the illusion is it's not just a, a kind of a bug it's a feature you know it's it's a it's a really highly adaptive to think of ourselves as being special in this way as having this this kind of in a world this soul as it were not a not a metaphysical not, not an actual soul but a, but the illusion of a soul and he he tells a really i mean he is an evolutionary biologist and he tells a really he has a really interesting story about the origins of this in in a very primitive um uh, uh, sensory system that is uh, separate from the perceptual system. And he's got a really, really interesting evolutionary story about that. And I, I don't know whether it's right, I, I, I like the story. Uh, and it's certainly an interesting way that you can go on co- thinking about the evolution of conscious once you give up these uh, realist assumptions.
1: Yeah, okay, I'll definitely look into
2: it. Mm, I like the book. One thing that's nice about it is that he 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 writes with, I mean, <laughs> Yes, you, you 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 might not like this, you guys, but he writes with, he, he draws on poetry and literature and music and art and so on. So he's, he he, he, he like gives he's, he's the opposite. He, he gives the opposite um, impression to someone who's a a, a, a scientist, a perspective on this. You know, it's a re, he, you know he really relishes consciousness and he relishes um, uh, the, um, uh, the, um, the the you know he sort of celebrates the potency and power of consciousness. While conceiving of it as an evolved illusion.
1: Mm, okay. Cool.
0: <laughs> you have any final words or any questions for us or anything over there? No, nope. I'd like. To, oh. I'd like. To, <laughs> oh, sorry. Was that was that to me? No. Was, <laughs> sorry, I
2: was. going uh, across uh, the pond. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see you guys talk to a talk to a committed realist. I. I. Um, I, um, I. Yeah. You know. Kept kept Philip on, and, and uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I have I, a, I I, 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 I've got some sympathy for Ben's sake. Let me tell you why. So, if, if not want to run over too much, but if you're going to trust those intuitions, and you really want to hang on to to, to the reality of phenomenal consciousness, then bringing it away, they right, sort of in the sort of hidden away behind this veil of subjectivity, is you know, and, and putting it right in the right in the the heart of matter itself is kind of a nice thing to do because it doesn't interfere with anything. You don't have any interactions. You don't have any questions about when it pops into existence. You know, where, this, where does the light come on? It's on everywhere. And kind of mm-hmm. a light that's on on everywhere is kind of, well, not much difference to a light that's on nowhere. I mean, the light that's on yeah. everywhere but doesn't doesn't do anything, doesn't illuminate anything, or a light that's just not on at all, well, empirically, there's absolutely no difference between them. So, you know, sort of shielding it away in that way I kind of think, yeah, no. okay, cool. Yeah. Then you have your intuitions and it doesn't change anything. <laughs> uh, well,
0: other <laughs> than that you've asked me to now include a massive universal uh, metaphysical baggage into my model that I don't want in there. So I, I no, agree no, that you, I like the, the flatness of it and that we're not one, special yeah. or different.
2: Yeah, but it's one that you can completely ignore for for, for Every practical purpose, all it does is is underline your intuitions, but it doesn't it underwrite your intuitions. But it doesn't make any difference to it, anything at all. So if you want to have it, you know, at least it's not going to distort your science because you're not going to try. There's no way you can do science on it. So science just continues just the same as before. <laughs> Look, one thing that's come out of this, and I think that's interesting, is that it would be, be really good to have some research on on people's uh, intuitions about consciousness and on how they can be. Um, I was going to say manipulated. But that's not the word. They're massaged, influenced, shaped. How stories we tell and questions we ask and intuition pumps we create can shape the way that we think of our own minds. And I think that's a very interesting project. And I'm not sure that a lot of work has been done on that. And um, yeah, I think that's 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 what I would. You know, I'd want to see that as part of the project that I'm engaged in.
1: Nice. that sounds good.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Harlan's looking at me like, uh, I think this is, this is enough. Okay there. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much. Um, you know, we hope to do this again sometime.
2: Yeah, thanks, it was fun. Um, it was, it was uh, are, we, are we finished recording now? Or-
0: uh, I will, oh, it's optional. If we, have, if we can edit in if there's any more to say or we can stop
2: now <laughs> no it was fun i mean it was fun being being pushed to try to um to articulate the, uh, the other side's position in this and uh i, I mean one reason i would like you to, to talk to a to a realist is um to make sure that um they have chance to speak for themselves i mean i'm, I'm not